next facilitator for this provocation by Bennett, who's going to be talking on the value, values, and valuation. Yeah, I, I am. I'm going to talk about value, values, valuation. Really, we've been talking about these topics through the, the few hours that we spent together already. Um, my thought is that the, at the core of every question about value or valuation is often just a comparison. And um, the question is, how do we determine the value of a thing? And the question becomes difficult when we're trying to compare values of two different things, which have quite different value structures. So how do we bring these things into a common currency? For instance, um, what's the value of one hour of my toil and labor in units of US dollars? What's the value of one PhD in biology in units of a PhD in philosophy? What's the value of my being able to have a Facebook uh, account in units of my giving up my personal information and data? These are the kinds of questions that we were um, looking at that you guys submitted uh, that made us think of this topic. So how do we determine that exchange rate, especially when we need a current, uh, common currency, we think? Can we do it without markets? And maybe nowhere do we see that tension so clearly between values and value um, as we do when we think about commodification, when we really have to think about whether the thing that we're looking at can be or should be or ought to be brought into um, the mode of currency that you're trying to convert. So questions having to do with ownership of art, of exploitation of workers or of student athletes, um, student debt, debt in general, of buying and selling personal data um, over the internet. These are all questions of commodification. Where is the value? Who's setting the value? And who's reaping the benefits of that value? And then some, some of those uh, questions really challenge the systems for evaluation, both for institutions and for individuals. So we often think about the system of evaluation of running something like a business. We could run government like a business. We could run academia like a business. What is the value structure in place when we're talk talking about running something like a business, which is not inherently a business, like academia? Again, then we talk about common currency. How do we bring different disciplines or different individuals into the same currency? How do we compare uh, a department in the humanities with a department in the sciences? Is it fair to make that comparison? Ought we to? Um, another currency, though, may not be profit or efficiency or productivity, as we have in the language of business, but it might be something like truth. And then we get uncomfortable. What is the primacy or authority of something like science over truth? And do we, again, have to bring into common currency two different disciplines, humanities, sciences, the like? And these are all, again, implicitly questions about our values as individuals and institutions. Um, but value is subjective. You and I may not have the same value structure, set of values. You and the zombie bank that owns your mortgage is certainly not aligned in your value system. So when there are questions about not sharing the same values, who do we defer to? Um, and one, to summarize, one of the questions was, what is our common wealth? Who owns our common wealth? So I'll be taking stack as we've been doing for the last few sessions. Uh, 
uh, th this word value is, is it's really two different words. It just happens to be pronounced and spelt the same. There's there's value in the sense of uh, you know the, the worth of, of something, like when you're buying and selling. And then there's values in the sense of the, the values that people have, like equality versus inequality and so forth. So uh, to, to just focus on the first meaning, uh, in, a, in a sharing economy, which I think is what we should have, which will take a revolution to get, uh, an economy not based on, on exchange, uh, not based on money and buying and selling, but from each according, like Joe said, from each according to his ability to each according to his need, the value of things is virtually irrelevant. Uh, you know, to take our, the example that we're familiar with of a sharing economy, a family, a nuclear family, the value of the child's cleaning up his room and the parent making making dinner and and, and, the mother, and, and a parent going out to work to you know to provide for the family and so forth. Those values are irrelevant. They're not exchanged. There's no touting up you know how much it's worth and, and, and so forth. And in a larger economy based on sharing. The the, uh, the the value in the sense of quantifying someone's contribution is not the point. The point is that a person should contribute something that seems reasonable uh, uh, given the circumstances in that person, which will be different for you know a young person, an old person, a disabled person, etc. So I so I'm just going to limit to the first definition of value. I think that in the kind of society we want, uh, value as it's uh, used to modify things that would be irrelevant. I think that um, another of these, you know, value, values, valuation, we might also think about value added um, and thinking about assessment. Um, that's a word that I hear a lot. I'm from Boston College. Um, that word floating around a lot and thinking about the ways in which we measure change and we measure um, benefit um, is already um, creating what, what can be visible and what can't be visible. Um, just last night outside of you know, the Park Street uh, tea station, I was talking to somebody. He was trying to sell me something, and so I was giving him an Occupy pen and trying to tell him about Occupy, and he was asking me, you know, do you think this has failed? Do you, you know, do you think, you know, this has actually done anything? Um, and his, he was really coming from the position that this hadn't changed. Um, the discourse hasn't accomplished what it was meant to accomplish, and so right there we were sort of coming up against the question of, um, you know, what, what is the value added of Occupy, how do we, um, in that case, and, and how do we define that, how might we talk about it, what frameworks do we have for that, where would we go to determine um, for whom it changed and in what sense um, something has changed, in what sense has value been added. Um, and so I think it's an issue that's uh, internal to, to our universities and it's uh, very relevant to the question of have we produced social change and what does it mean to produce social change? I'd like to agree with the uh, notion that values uh, are really irrelevant to the current dilemma uh, on the grounds that uh, we seem to spend a lot of time talking about values and the whole notion that uh, the current system is quote unfair uh, dominates a lot of the conversation. Uh, 
Um, that may all be true. In fact, it is true. But that's not the reason the system is collapsing. It's not collapsing because it's unfair. It's collapsing because it's doomed. It can't survive. And that is of great consequence to us all. And uh, the fact that it's doomed, the fact that it's unstable, the fact that it can't sustain itself is, in my opinion, a much bigger and more immediate problem than the question of, is it fair? It's immaterial whether it's fair or not. It's not going to survive, and something has to replace it, and the question is, what? I have two people on staff, but please keep raising your hands as people speak, and I'll put you on staff. I'm assuming that was the staff question. My name is Matt, and I am um, involved with Occupy Boston, and I want to talk about how prior to being involved with Occupy, I was a working class citizen, and it made me feel like a commodity, whereas when I joined Occupy, I felt more like my individualism was focused on, that was more valued on that. Um, and from my experience from being in both environments, um, there was less celebrity culture in my viewpoint at Occupy because it was a horizontal democracy versus working, say, at Dunkin' Donuts, where it was always talking about propping others up. So just want to put that on. Thank So I just want to say, one of the, um, to me, one of the greatest harms of economy becoming so dominating a framework for thinking about, about things and value taking on the importance that it has is that it becomes objectified. And so somehow the numeric values that are attached to things are given the, the ability to dictate what it's worth and how we relate to it, when really these are value in a moral sense decisions what numbers attached to any scenario are not necessary. They are not natural and they do not need to happen that way. And so by, by removing or somehow isolating the moral questions that we are actually operating with every time we, we deal with economy in any sense, we have already just given in to the imaginary. We've let our, our discourse and our thoughts be determined by a system that is destructive and that is harming us. Yeah, actually, I just wanted to add to that and, and perhaps respond to the point about capitalism being doomed. Um, that I, when, I, when I try to give an example of the like, Marxian idea of fetishism, um, Often the most telling example I, I think of is, is these various African health ministers during the height of the um, AIDS crisis in southern Africa. They were all trained by the World Bank um, and, uh, in neoliberal economics. And they always all said the same thing, which was like, you know, we have a terrible situation in this country. Half the people are dying of AIDS. And, you know, we really need to do something about this because it will have terrible effects on the economy. <laughs> And think about it. You know, once upon a time, we used to think of the economy as the way that you keep people alive. <laughs> now the best reason you can come up with to think that it's bad that they'll all be dead is they won't be producing as many goods and services. And how can you get more perverse? Um, but, but I think that, you know, the point that, well, the system isn't functional, it's doomed, I think I totally agree with you on that one. Um, 
But I think the moment when you see the system is doomed is exactly the moment that you should ask whether it was fair. I mean, think about the Roman Empire, you know, I mean, 40% of the population of, of Roman Italy were slaves, and like, you know, after the collapse of the empire, that was no longer the case. Um, if it hadn't been for the fact that people somehow were, were, were assessing the fairness of certain institutions, that wouldn't have happened. So, I mean, when a system's falling apart, I think it's a perfect moment to make that kind of assessment. So as to think about what comes next. I have two people on stack right now. We'll probably have space for two more. I was just going to echo that about the fairness, that if we want to make a new society, we have to have a broad societal, deep discussion about what's fair and what's not fair. Yeah, echoing that as well, I mean, it's good to judge whether previous system was fair or whether the existing and, and, and soon to be or eventually to be previous, it's not exactly clear how quickly things are doomed. It's going to be messy on the way. Um, but I think the more interesting question is how do you move towards having a, 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 a next system which is fair, which is better? Because the, the time after Rome fell, there was less slavery, but it's, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of not good as well. Um, um, so, you know, how do you make sure? I think that would probably be Tom's point, is that you, if you're going to talk about fairness or any kind of metric for whether something is good or not, it really needs to be about that next system and less, more forward-looking, less backward-looking. I'm going to offer a moment of silence for progressive stack's sake, in case there's anyone who has not spoken yet. So may I reinstate stack by asking for people that wanted to speak to raise their hands again? On this issue of fairness versus doomedness, um, I just wanted to, I think, return to, uh, in the green shirt, what is your name, sir? Tom, what Tom was saying. I thought his, his position was being responded to uh, not directly in the sense that what I heard as the truth of what Tom was saying is that the discourse around fairness, which is to say how so the social surplus is, for instance, distributed within existing, among existing groups within the society, you know, the bankers, you know, unfair distribution of wealth, the 1% has too much. The discourse rhetoric I use all the time in trying to relate to people, that that does, I think, bear with it a risk of keep, keeping people's imaginations confined within, um, within the current social system. So there's an issue of like the fairness of distribution of exchange value, you know, value within the system, and then there's the question of how fair the structures are. And I thought those two things were being conflated in responses to what Tom was saying, if that makes sense. I totally agree with the responses to him on that issue of the structure, the need to evaluate structures fairness and what would, what would egalitarian structures look like. But I do think this is a real contradiction we have is like in talking with people when oftentimes even what occupies value maybe as vet is to foreground this issue of wealth distribution and inequality. And, and, and I think it's right to meet people there, but I think we need to think about how do we move into talking about the need for, for system change, you know, without coming off as just railing sectarians or something like that. I mean, what are the practical and rhetorical strategies that people have developed? I mean, this isn't just a theoretical question. We're doing it and trying to do it, I assume. And, and, and how do we make that leap? I think there always, we do need, I, I, I appreciate, appreciate Tom forcing us to, to think about how we make that leap. 
Yeah, I think if things are fair now or not is 100% pertinent just because we can't learn from our mistakes, we're completely fucked. Uh, also, I'd like to request that we stop using the provocateur because they can grind my teeth. Because I'm thinking of a totally different context of which is the guy you don't know the dynamite just like blows something up and gets you sent to jail. So it's just it's making me twitch every time you say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay, I'll get to you. Um, Eli, Hi, my name is Eli. Uh, I want to respond to what, what you were saying in, in general, the, the problem of liberalism that we need to address as a group, because that's really what you're talking about. So, and back to what David said, you know, so Krugman, you know, thinks inequality is very high right now. But if you look at the, why, he says, oh, well, guess what, inequality leads to lower GDP. So and this goes back to this kind of question of what are the main goals of our society. So right now, you know, in some ways we can say, Okay, well, the reason the Occupy movement is getting, uh, you know, a rather wide uh, audience is because certain people think, well, you know, if the system just gets a little bit better, if, you know, instead of income distribution being with the way it is now, the way it goes back to the New Deal, you know, all these kinds of issues, um, then, then, you know, problem solved. Or, you know, the golden era of American capitalism, we just need to go back to that. So I think one of the challenges that we have as, as, as radicals is, is to both, you know, be able to talk to these people um, but in a way that, you know, doesn't alienate them, but also that allows them to see beyond, you know, just the questions of, you know, like what you said. So, uh, does it help that the uh, marginal tax rate in the 1970s was 80% when pow the power structure really hadn't changed at all and corporations pretty much had all the power? So, I mean, and, and which of course led to the situation we're in today. So, I just wanted to just throw that out there, just the questions of, you know, how do we address these issues of, you know, um, when, when we do have people, very powerful people, on our side right now. Uh, and yet, you know, in the bigger scheme of things, their main goal might be in direct opposition in some ways to ours. So I just wanted to raise that issue. There was a person who did not speak before back here, so I'm going to... I'd just like to... I'd just like to point out that the idea of dead people being bad to the economy isn't confined to... World Bank economists, uh, you see the same kind of thing in the anti-war movement. The whole idea of money for jobs and education, not for war and occupation. So, the almost literal placing of value on human life isn't just confined to members of the 1%, but it's also kind of leaked out into movements that are supposedly resisting the 1%. Um. Anna wanted to speak, and that will be the last short. Thank you. I, um, it's really lovely to see everybody here. I, um, I agree with a lot of what's been said. Talking about numbers is really not very inspiring, and it doesn't, um, and even though we all understand numbers, for some reason it doesn't almost give us a common language with the people that we want to bring in uh, into our movement. Um, and I think it, that's because we also don't necessarily believe that um, the the kind of the worst thing about the situation is um, economic. I think we I I think we also um, feel that there's a kind of poisoning um, that has happened, um, and so our human the way that we relate to each other, like our human relationships. Um, have um, become contaminated um, with uh, very many things, including um, 
our kind of language of value, of worth, um, economics, of right, the, the like making uh, human relationships um, um, like sound as though they can be quantified like that. Um, and so uh, this is something I think about a lot because when we came at when we came together at Dewey Square, like that was. One of the problems is that we didn't have we did not have common values. We didn't have a way of judging what's fair and what's not fair, um, and how to keep people from uh, from hurting each other. Who has the right to do that? Who has the right to keep people from hurting each other? Um, and we didn't have the the language to come together as a community and talk about this. Um, and so I wonder then if if one of the things that we need to do, um, especially looking forward to possible next occupations, is to talk about. Um, uh, to talk about the language of, like, to have a language of community building, um, and possibly get at this other side of values, which is, uh, the value of, like, our human values, um, and that those be something very, very different from the way we think about value as worth, um, now. Um, so, I would like to, I would, I would just like to stress that. Okay, and on we move to our, our last thing Bill will provoke. 